Thank you so much. <laughs> Topic of our discourse Satnya this Satnya evening is perception in the context of mindfulness meditation. You will remember during the previous Satnya Dhamma talk on Monday, the emphasis was on materiality as well as Satnya feeding to some extent. And today, we the focus will be more on perceptions. Now, perceptions are an important part in our uh, human existence. However, you know, these certain perceptions can be quite certain and tricky, so it's certain, uh, worth uh, better understanding you know, their nature. Now, when speaking of it in a human being, and the Buddha has certain done so in one case as saying that a human being consists of materiality and certain mentality, so rupa and certain nama, and another way of classifying a human being is certain by way of the five what? Aggregates, there you go. The five Fatnik Kandas, Pancha Kandas in the Pali scriptural language. And there's a total of five of them, the first one being the aggregate of materiality, Rupa Kanda, then we have the aggregate of feelings, Vedna Kanda, then the aggregate of perceptions, Sanya Kanda the aggregate of volitional formation, Sankara Kanda, and finally, yeah, the aggregate of consciousness, Vijnana Kanda, in the Palitna scriptural language. Now, the term Kanda that needs to yeah, be explained, yeah, namely, uh, this uh, translates as aggregate in in the English Shatna language and Satna then is an umbrella term for all possible instances of each category, whether past, present or future, internal or external, gross or subtle, inferior or superior, near or far. Proper understanding of these five aggregates leads directly to dispassion and that in turn to detachment and eventually to realization. To show you the potential of a mindful contemplation of the aggregates, well, the Buddha's certain 
first five fatna. Disciples became arahants after an exposition of anatta by way of the five aggregates. As human beings, we tend to have a lot of desire and attachment in regard certainly, to the, f- the five aggregates. When we're mindful of Fatna, the five aggregates, then over time we are likely to recognize that these five aggregates in essence are void, hollow, and insubstantial. There's a beautiful discourse recorded in the Samyutta Nikaya, it's Satna, third volume, in section 142, a discourse entitled A Lump of Foam. And that particular discourse compares the aggregate of materiality to, in, to the insubstantial nature of a lump of foam carried away by a river. The same discourse compares feelings to impermanent bubbles that form on the surface of water during rain. Perception or cognition then is compared to the illusory nature of a mirage. Volitional formations are compared to the essenceless nature of a plantain tree, and consciousness is compared to the deceptive performance of a magician. Now, in the case of a lump of foam, when you take a closer look at it, when you touch it, what do you feel? What do you find? Is there a lot of substantiality there? Not really. And the same thing goes in the case of a bubble certain forming. So during rain, raindrops will fall to the ground and then briefly form a bubble and suddenly that sudden bubble will quickly burst. So feelings are said because of their impermanent nature are then compared to such bubbles. Now, in the case of perceptions, the comparison is to a mirage, and a mirage is something that is truly existing or not? No. Not. That's it. 
And certain, when we look at certain, when we take a closer look at perceptions, when we carefully investigate certain of them, then we may notice how our perceptions are influenced by a number of certain factors and certain they are not all that stable or permanent as we might certainly think. And certain perceptions may seem very real, but certainly in the end certainly they are uh, well, pretty illusory uh, by uh, by nature. Now, volitional formations, sankaras, are compared to, to the essenceless nature of a plantain tree. So, if you think of a banana tree or banana plant, is there any heartwood to this? Not. There's no core there. You can take a uh, banana plant and suddenly then cut it and chop it down and suddenly then remove um, layer by uh, layer from coming from the outside and suddenly you can keep removing. In the end, you will not find any solid certain core there. And in consciousness, as Sutton has stated, being compared to the deceptive performance of a magician. So it may seem all very, very real, but certainly it's just a show that is certainly going on. Now, with regard to you know, the aggregates, we find uh, you know, specific uh, instructions and in the Satipatthana Sutta and certainly uh, there under the heading of uh, Dhammanupasana Satipatthana, so mindful contemplation of Dhammas. And uh, the Aggregates are no one item there. Now, the instructions are as follows. One knows such is material form, such its arising, such its passing away. Such is feeling, such its arising, such its passing away. Such is perception such its arising such its passing away such are volitions or mental formations such their arising such their passing away such is con consciousness such its arising such its passing away now the term such refers to what? 
Not self. Still somewhere? Anicca. Still? What suddenly, if we simply say the nature? One knows such is the nature of material form, such is the nature of its arising, and so on and so forth. Now, there are two stages to this mindful contemplation of the aggregates. The first one is a recognition of the nature of each aggregate, and then secondly, awareness of the very arising and passing away of those, uh, the respective aggregates. Now, the Samyutta Nikaya, in its 22nd Satna collection, paragraph 79 or passage 79, gives a very simple definition of what perception is all about. And there we find, and why? Oh, retreatants, do you call it perception? It perceives, therefore it is called perception. And what does it perceive? It perceives blue, it perceives yellow, it perceives red, it perceives white. It perceives, therefore it is called perception. Obviously, it's not just certain perceiving the color of an object, but also perceiving other, mm, other features of a predominant object. And those features certainly may be different from object certainly to object. Now, the Visuddhi Magga, the path of Fatna purification, gives a far more uh, detailed uh, definition of uh, what the mental factor of perception is all about. And uh, it says, the characteristic of perception is the perceiving of the qualities or features of uh, the object. Its function is to make a sign as a condition for a perceiving, for perceiving again, that this is the same. So that would be the first function. The second one is the function of recognizing what has been previously perceived. So if in your lifetime, for the first time, you have an opportunity you know, to fly in a commercial uh, jet plane, and you've never had that opportunity before. Well, once uh, you've done so, you will have um, a clear perception 
of what that is all about and certainly clear perception of the different features of traveling in a commercial jet plane. But without having ever you know, traveled in you know, such a commercial jet plane, you will not really know what it's all about. You may have some ideas, but you know, that might not be all that detailed yet. Perception becomes manifest as certainly the interpreting of Fatna, the object, Apiniwesa in the Pali scripture language, by a way of Fatna, the features that have been apprehended. And the proximate cause for you know, the arising of perception is Fatna, the object as it appears. Now, the next gives a nice comparison very vivid, lively in comparison for the working of certain perception. Namely, it says that this could be compared to a carpenter's recognition of certain kinds of wood by the mark of footnote which he or she has made on uh, each one of them. So a gardener who is in the process of building a chair out of footnote wood will first have to make the individual parts and then in order to, when the time comes to assemble the different parts, he will have to mark them so that no mistake occurs, so that the carpenter knows which part goes where. So in the same way, when we come across some object that we've never experienced so far, the mind will make certain signs as a condition for perceiving again that this is such and such an object. The mental factor of certain perception, what would you say? Is it an unwholesome mental factor? Is it a whole, one of the beautiful ones? Is it one of the occasionals, the six occasionals? Or is it one of the seven universals? The seven universals, yes, that's certainly correct. Which means that certain perception arises with any type of consciousness that arises. So every time consciousness arises, perception will be there, will camp will be associated with that moment of consciousness. But 
depending on the consciousness with which perception is associated, the, the texts certainly distinguish three kinds of perception, namely as certainly being either wholesome or profitable, or being unwholesome or non, non-profitable, and certainly then as indeterminate. Would you have a practical example of uh, uh, the working of uh, perception? An example where you, you, in your own practice, noticed that perception was at work. Any such example? Seeing a shape in the forest, and then recognizing it as a deer. Oh, as a deer! No, recognizing it as a deer. Yes. Okay. So, with that certain example, you're highlighting the aspect of recognition. Mm-hmm. And certain then, still another example. You're observing some sensation in the body, some mm, a bit uh, a rare sensation that doesn't arise all that often. And at first, you're not really clear what is this all about. And you don't quite yet know what to even call it. When you then keep observing it a bit longer, eventually that uh, you might certainly uh, understand, oh, now this certainly uh, must be um, the sensation of uh, tightness. Um, or, or let's say a certain uh, better uh, sensation of stiffness. And once you come uh, once that perception is there, and then you, or when you observe that certain sensation, you see certain that marks, and suddenly then you come to the conclusion: well, this must be a stiffness. The mind then makes a sign, stiff, the so-called sensation stiffness has such and such qualities. And then in the future, sooner or later, you will come across stiffness again and right away be able to recognize it. Or maybe more predominantly, when it comes to certain mental states or mental conditions, you know there's some something going on in the mind, but you can't quite as yet put a name on it. And 
you observe it a bit longer, and eventually you realize, oh, there seems to be some underlying despair here. Once, and so you see the features of this particular mental condition, the discouragement of the mind, and kind of giving up maybe, and suddenly then you come to the conclusion, well, this must be, or this is what human beings call despair. Once you've recognized despair as such for the first time, in the future it will be easier to recognize it again. No. In the course of our meditation practice, we may find that certain perception is what? a pretty static mental factor, or would you say that it is an alterable mental factor? Alterable, yes. Uh, would you have an example for this? Pain changes to pleasure, pleasure changes to pain. Ah, no, okay, good, certain example. And What's that? Yes, indeed. Yeah, so, uh, a sensation that at first we uh, perceive to be a pain, you know, while uh, observing it, over time, um, our relationship to it certainly may you know, change, and certainly uh, later on we might even uh, uh, see it as a pleasant pain. So, pain accompanied with a pleasant feeling. Would you have other examples how, through meditation practice or in the course of mindfulness meditation, um, uh, a perception changes? You can be fast or slow. Sometimes the perception is very quick, sometimes very slow. Ah. Clear or not so clear. Ah, okay. Good. Still, what else? Yeah, namely? Uh, the contours of the body uh, experience as not being there or being there. Or yes, right. The shape of the body being in a different way. Or yes, that's it. Mm -hmm. And so before we start out with <laughs> mindfulness meditation, we'll have a kind of standard perception of ourselves. So the standard, we see our own body in a particular way, a pretty well-defined way. 
And we think it's certainly going to be like this all the time. And certainly we then engage in mindfulness practice and that standard perception of our own body then under, may undergo massive changes. Even to a point where the so-called contour or shape of footnote, sorry, the body or the shape of a part of footnote, the body you know, breaks up and even falls away. Oftentimes, when before we meditate or when we begin with mindfulness certain meditation practice the mind you know, tends to make a, a big difference between or big distinction between internal and external objects so where where what's the difference here Uh, the, uh, yes, that could be a way of looking at it. Or else, we have a certain notion of a boundary of the body, and certain you know, then mm, sensations, experiences that, that take place within uh, this certain boundary. Those are considered to be internal and everything else that takes place outside of the boundary is seen as external and what happens to that boundary it softens and vanishes there you go and so with that the distinction between inside or internal phenomena and external phenomena simply just falls away. Or what about food? Your relationship, your perception of food, when you first come to a meditation center and then later on in the course of practice, what happens? What might happen? The food becomes less interesting. Ah, there you go. The food at first might be quite fascinating, and over time, as certainly we are mindful of predominant objects, our relationship to food changes, our perception of food changes, and it becomes less interesting, as Emily says. Now, some retreatants come to a retreat with long hair and are quite attached to it, see it as a sign of beauty and maybe an aspect of attractiveness. And then this meditator, male or female, makes a mistake. 
and meditates. <laughs> and what happens? <laughs> and what happens down the road? <laughs> yes? The hair becomes a hassle. That is, that's it indeed. So there comes a point in one's sudden practice when retreatants, when the perception of one's own hair that previously was suddenly seen in the most glorious uh, terms, that now is perceived in a different way, that namely as suddenly being a hassle, as being a burden, one has to take care of it, one has to wash it, one has to comb it, one has to do, one has to apply all sorts of shampoo, and <laughs> and you tell you will know better than I do what, what needs to be done, or some even have to go to the hairdresser. <laughs> Regularly. Now, when being mindful of certain predominant certain sensations, one becomes more and more aware of all the burden that goes along with having to entertain this long hair, and sooner or later the thought might arise. What if uh, what if I get it? Uh, what if I uh, well cut it, or at least greatly reduce its length? And and in Burma there are many examples, many people um, who've lived that, lived through that change of perception. Uh, with regard to you know, the hair, or you know, we could even take it a step further. Namely, one comes on a retreat as a late retreat and uh, is perfectly uh, fine with that particular uh, status. However, uh, mindfulness practice changes uh, things uh, uh, profoundly and sooner or later one starts to see the world in a different way, one starts to see one's own status in the world in a different way, and one might decide you know, to go from from where to where? From the life of a householder to the life of a renunciate. There, there you go. So there's a big change of perception you know, that certainly goes along you know, with that certain decision. Or you might certainly have noticed with regard certain to you know, fellow you know, human beings that at first you see one of uh, you see a precious fellow uh, human being as uh, uh, a wonderful uh, person, but then he or she does something or says something that suddenly really uh, agonizes you, and suddenly then you start perceiving that same person as your as your enemy. There you go, 
And sadness of first, that it all starts out with a very positive perception of another person, and suddenly later on, owing to some direct sudden conduct or interaction, and then it might turn into the very opposite. Now, the question to you, do we really have to have enemies around us? Is this necessary? Not necessary. So if it's not necessary, then what would you do? Hmm? Yes, Ron? Let go of what? Yes, indeed. Perception of another person as an enemy. And all that is needed is just that, to recognize what perception is actually doing, how perception is suddenly changing or flipping from one from one extreme to another extreme. Having seen this, having understood the futility of entertaining an enemy image, one then lets let go of it over and over again. Now, Broadly speaking, retreatants who undergo intensive mindfulness practice, not just for a few days, but for weeks, possibly even several months, will find that major changes take place with regard to their own, with regard to this mental factor of perception. And changes that make it very clear that perceptions, uh, or the mental factor of perception, is alterable. And we might suddenly find that, as Sadduron stated earlier on, perceptions become um, quicker. We might further find that they become sharper, fresher, and our perceptions will be more detailed. We might, the perceptions might become more vivid and furthermore less cluttered by projections, emotions, biases, and certain ideas. stereotypes, and the like. Now, when we see that we might further uh, recognize that uh, perceptions are 
nothing or well, that perceptions are such that they are being greatly influenced. So they can be influenced by external phenomena, but they can equally be influenced by internal phenomena or formations. give you an example for this. If we've grown up to adopt a couple of stereotypes with regards to the citizens of one this country, another country, and yet another country, then we might suddenly find that suddenly the mind is perceiving citizens of a particular country according to the stereotype, under the influence of the stereotype. And that is actually rather unfortunate. Why is that? Pardon me? It's not true. There you go. And uh, what the stereotype tells us is one thing. And when we actually meet with that other person and suddenly have some meaningful interaction, we might suddenly realize that person is every, or that person does not conform to the stereotype at all. In the course of intensive practice, we might, or at first, uh, perception may seem like a pretty compact certain mental state. It's just not certainly changing at all. But with certain intense or intensive practice, gradually one that might start to see the changes with regard to the mental factor of perception itself. Sorry. At times, the perception of an object might be very strong. At other times, it certainly may be quite weak. We might suddenly find that the 
perception of an object is certainly clear, at other times it's certainly somewhat you know, foggy, hazy, blurred, and it might certainly change in many you know, ways. We might further see you know, the very arising of perception, and certainly we might see you know, some changes there over time, and certainly then you know, the uh, ending of uh, the mental factor of perception for a moment. We might further understand through direct certain practice or direct observation that perceptions are unreliable and when we see how a wrongful perception may bring upon us plenty of fatness suffering, well, you know, then it becomes obvious. You know, then the dukkha aspect, the unsatisfactory aspect of perceptions, you know, will be, uh, becomes obvious. We might further notice you know, that certain perceptions happen of their accord, their own accord, it's not you know, that certainly we can um, willfully bring about this or that certain perception. So the another uh, aspect is there. Uh, another aspect here you know, would be that we realize there's no need to identify with perceptions. Perceptions are not the seat of the self. In terms of the conditions that lead to you know, the arising of certain perceptions, the Buddha has certainly given the following explanations. Namely, he says, when the physical eye with which we see comes in contact with a visible object, then what arises out of the meeting of those two is seeing consciousness. And when those three things, namely the um, physical eye and certainly then the visible object and seeing consciousness come together, the meeting of those certain three then is called contact, fasa in the Pali scriptural language, a particular mental state, one of another one of the universals. Now, with contact, there arises feeling and because of because of feeling because of what one feels one then perceives and what one perceives one then reasons about and certainly that reasoning could lead on to mental proliferation so conceptualizing about certain certain things.
Now, at first, we tend to easily believe our perceptions and take them at face value. But in doing so, sooner or later, we might recognize that we've been tricked by yet another wrongful perception. So simple cases of a wrongful perception would be the following. Around sunset, you see some curled object lying somewhere towards the side of the path that you're walking on because it's gradually getting darker. When you see that object from a certain distance, the mind might perceive it to be a what? A snake. There you go. And this might even trigger a strong fear reaction. But then when walking closer, walking up to that object, you might recognize that you've just been fooled by perception. And it's not some snake that is lying there, but rather just a curled leaf. Mindfulness Satna meditation in one way could be seen as a process of more and more perceiving objects in a more correct manner, in a more realistic manner. The Venerable Sadhupanita Bhivams of Fatna Burma has suddenly given a beautiful illustration for this object. Who remembers? Yes, Joanna. Yes. So if you have a line of ants crossing a road, and you look at certain, uh, that certain line, at first sight, it may seem you know, to be uh, maybe uh, a stick. A stick that is lying across certain of the road. Upon walking up or going, you know, going a little bit certain closer, up putting it to, you know, the, uh, to, to that uh, uh, line there, you might recognize the misperception, the earlier misperception, 
and certainly you recognize it's not a stick that lies across certain of the road, but rather you know there seem to there seems to be a line of fitness some you know, some things some moving you know, things and when you go even closer to now that line, you notice the individual ants crossing you know, the road. And so the first um, unverified uh, perception is misleading, as well as the second one, and the third certain one you know, then brings us you know, somewhat certainly closer you know, to a realistic you know, perception. The same thing may happen in the meditation practice. Would you have an example for this? The way we see... Yes, Ron? Yes. So at first, it may be... There you go. And certainly later on, that continuity, the perception of a continu continuity of that movement, that certainly then breaks up, and certainly one sees how that apparent mm, continuous movement actually consists of you know, segments, and even those certain segments that might certainly be you know, seen as consisting of even smaller you know, segments. And this form of mm, a change of perception may occur with regard to many, many objects. Take a pain. A pain, at first, may be perceived to be a solid, compact, never-changing object or sensation. And for a number of days, it may just remain like that, and your perception remains intact. But now when your mindfulness gets stronger, your concentration also gets stronger, your wisdom factor you know, deepens, and uh, you penetrate the object certainly some more, you, know, you might notice that you know, the originally so solid certain pain actually isn't all that solid, all that compact, but rather it consists of uh, you know, the parts. And uh, when you go, uh, when you look at, uh, deeper into one of those parts, you might see how even that uh, consists of smaller uh, bits and pieces and particles. So the first, uh, the very first perception of an object may be one thing, and certain, uh, what certainly we uh, perceive at a later point uh, with improved uh, mindfulness, concentration, and uh, wisdom is another thing. Now, Another example here would be, namely, 
ordinary, an ordinary worldling would certainly see sensual pleasures in which way? As? Desirable. Desirable, yes, that's it. And uh, an arahant, so a person who has eradicated all defilements, will see those same sensual pleasures as? Still as desirable? Neutral. What's that? Neutral. As neutral, yes. And certainly not certainly desirable anymore. And certain, uh, an said will most likely not act on those. Now, in our meditation practice, there is a connection uh, between, a strong connection between perception and certain mindfulness, so sanya and satna sati. It is with mindfulness that certainly we are aware of the various objects. And certainly the perception part then comes in in the form of the labeling. So putting a label onto an experience. Among the two, the perception of an object and certainly the awareness or mindfulness of an object Obviously, you know, the actual awareness is much more important. Now, one practical application in regard certainly to you know, perceptions or one practical outcome of certain you know, perceptions especially misperceptions comes in the form of what of conflicts so if there if we are misperceiving a particular situation, and we're not putting in the extra energy and the willingness to carefully investigate the situation, then that misperception may lead us to start a conflict. And this could happen in many different ways. Now, a somewhat related aspect certainly here is you have one particular situation, let's say some social situation, 
and one party perceives it in one way and another party perceives it in just the opposite certain way. And because of a difference in perception among the first and the second party, they will find it difficult to agree to something. beautiful example for this Satna was given by the Buddha himself. Namely, at one point in the distant past, there was a king who had uh, who called one of his attendants and instructed the attendant to well, bring in the royal elephant and to also bring in all the blind men of the country. So the attendant was told, was done, he did what he was told to do. So he invited all the blind men of the country and they were all shown the one and same elephant. And they were given an opportunity to touch one part or the other part of the elephant. So some would touch the tail of the elephant, another would touch the tusk of it, another one a leg of the elephant, and then the trunk of it, etc., etc. And then the king asked those blind men, one by one, what does an elephant look like? And so each one gave a description of what he had just experienced or just touched. And they came up, of course, with different descriptions. And in no time, they were fighting among each other. No, an elephant is not that. And another person would say, yes, an elephant is just that. And in no time, they gave each other blows. And the king was having a wonderful time. So that's a beautiful illustration for how a particular sensation, one of the same, or no, a particular situation, one of the same situation, is being uh, perceived differently by different certain people or different parties, and certain that then being one of the major contribution or contributing factors to. A conflict. As a result of this important role that perceptions play 
in the arising of conflicts, well, when it comes to the de-escalation of conflicts, the resolution of conflicts, an important aspect is to uh, then speak about the uh, one's perceptions. So a disclosing of uh, perceptions, one party states how it perceives the situation, another party describes what its perception is, and so on and so forth. And uh, sorry, and that might certainly gradually lead to, uh, uh, to the arising of some understanding. Of course, other uh, factors uh, will be needed uh, to resolve a major conflict. There was um, now there's a famous certain case of a, a major impending conflict, namely between the Koliyas and the Shakyas at the time of the Buddha. And the conflict arose over who has access to the water of the Rohini River, a river that flows through Nepal, actually not too far from Lumbini, where the Buddha's birth took place. Now, during the hot season, who has access to water is vital for uh, for the uh, agriculture. And so, the Kuliyas and the Shakyas both certain, uh, claimed that they had certain, the only right certain, to the water of the Rohini River, and the whole thing escalated to a point where both certain ethnic groups then um, brought in their respective armies. And the armies camped, opposing each other, and it so happened that the Buddha appeared on the scene. And he then chose suddenly to sit under a tree in the shade of that tree. And since he was well known to both the Koliyas as well as Satna the Shakyas, soon they reckoned that the generals, the commanders of the two armies, quickly recognized who he was and Satna approached him. And the Buddha asked them a very simple question. What is more important? Namely, blood or water. And uh, since both new commanders were, or, or uh, then realized that's more important than the water rights is 
the human blood and not to shed it and so uh, then uh, because of the, uh, the strength of the, uh, uh, the Buddha at the point uh, then both uh, commanders dismissed uh, their armies and the conflict uh, was resolved right then and there and here too involved in uh, the conflict was just a different perception both parties claimed to have um, an and only right access right to the Rohini River. Now, on retreat, at times, conflicts do occur, and this might again involve perceptions. When retreatant forgets that suddenly we are all sitting in the same boat, namely uh, the boat suddenly that goes towards Nibbana. When one starts forgetting that, one might suddenly decide to pick a quarrel. So in a situation like this, it's important to remember the interrelatedness, how we are interrelated with one another uh, over many past existences as mother and uh, father and brother and sister and certain so on, and certain thus certain then and give up on uh, the uh, willingness to um, uh, seek some uh, uh, some quarrel. Now, maybe to as a last point, there are particular passages in the texts that highlight the very training in perception. One such case would be, one such passage would be on loving-kindness, metabhavana, so mental development through loving-kindness meditation. And the way this intensive meta-practice is certainly being described and instructed in the Visuddhimagga is that first one radiates certain loving-kindness to oneself, then to a dear person, followed by a very dear person, then one goes on to radiate loving-kindness to a neutral person and eventually to a hostile person. So it's the same thing Mm, thoughts of loving kindness are the thoughts and fee and deep feeling of fortunate loving kindness that then gets spread around. Now, if prior to such metabhavana, a person had uh, or was partial in certain ways. And suddenly, the end of successful metabhavana practice, this may 
uh, change deeply. And one reaches, one might reach a point where there is equal matter, meta to all involved, to oneself, to the dear person, the very dear person, the neutral person, even towards the hostile person. They are all seen as certain valuable and precious beings. So intensive metabolism may will lead if it's done properly to a breaking down of the barrier between the people involved and that shows you how the mind can be trained how the perception can be trained and major changes be brought about now with this, allow me to conclude today's certain discourse on perception, the aggregate of perception, mindfulness of perceptions as they occur in our practice, and certainly the you know, understanding some of the changes that occur with regard to perception, understanding the features of perceptions, and that may this help you not to buy into each and every perception that comes along, to may it also inspire you to train the mind in a way that unwholesome perceptions gradually get certain perceived by more and more wholesome perceptions and ultimately may this lead to the realization of Nibbana. And this is it for the discourse.